With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey folks, John Miller along with Rob Howe, both of us of HawkeyeNation.com. And Rob, let's talk about some recent goings on with the Iowa football team. There have been three, I guess... News pieces is the best way to put them. Two two situations that involved a uh, public record of uh, running afoul of the law by two Iowa student athletes, and a third um, parting of ways on Tuesday, July the thirty first. Since you're the news guy, I'll let you kind of lead here. Yeah, and the, the the departure ties in with the off the field issues because Brandon Snyder. I don't say got the ball rolling on this because I think if we're looking back and maybe going a year ago when Manny Ragamba was suspended for the first game, you know, the starting cornerback, um, that kind of got the ball rolling, so to speak. And it hasn't been a huge snowball, but then you had Brandon Snyder, OWI in December, Alaric Jackson getting suspended for the bowl game. Um, you know, fast forward, they seem to get through the spring okay, at least from what we know. Um, there's plenty of things, I'm sure, that go on behind closed doors and get various degrees of punishment. Um, and then, I guess it was two weekends ago, uh, Brady Reef, public intox, spent almost seven uh, hours in the Johnson County Jail, um, tried to get into a police car thinking it was an Uber. Um, you know, you kind of put that together and wonder, uh, and people have wondered, was he doing the right thing? How, but it's hard to know. How drunk was he? How persistent was he getting in the cop car? It's hard to say. So we just have to go with the facts that we know. Kirk suspended him for one game. And then this past Saturday night, uh, early Sunday morning, uh, Tristan Wirfs, true sophomore starting right tackle, uh, picked up uh, for an OWI 6'5", 20 pounds with two other guys on a moped. He blew a 126, I believe. Yeah. Point yeah. one two six. Yeah. Um, so obviously over that, he, he's underage as well. Um, and Kirk announced today, being Tuesday, uh, July 31st, that Tristan would miss the first game of the season. Yeah, indeed. You know, back to Brady, um, the pre-arrest BAC was point two oh four. And being somebody that once upon a time, <clears throat> when I was 19 years old in Iowa City, uh, blew just over a two uh, myself when I got a DUI, um, I was bombed. And you can get to that high of alcohol content by consuming a number of alcoholic beverages in a very short period of time. And if you do that, you're, you're, you're pretty ripped. So it, it, I, think, I think the decision-making aspects of Reefs, even though he did you know, try to jump in the cop car thinking it was an Uber, I give him credit for that. Someone who, again, I, I drove drunk, um, I can't tell you how many times. It's one of the reasons why uh, nearly 12 years ago I quit drinking altogether because I just couldn't trust myself to make um, uh, responsible decisions uh, and know when to say when, really when it came to drinking. So it's disappointing when you have an older player, a 22-year-old, 
um, who does something like that on the eve of the season. Kirk Ferentz, as you mentioned, providing a uh, one-game suspension for Reef. Some people think, well, you know, it's kind of a public intox. Maybe it shouldn't have been that much of a suspension. But Kirk has said before that um, if you're a younger player in the program and you make indiscretions like these, I'm not going to call these things common, and I'm certainly not going to say they're small deals. Uh, a DUI is not a small deal. Um, he's a little harsher on the older players where there's a little more lenience for the younger players. But clearly, with uh, Tristan Wirfs getting a one-game suspension for the OWI, and, and I would have loved to have had a picture of those guys riding on the scooter, uh, that would have been kind of comedic to see. It reminds me of those two. Remember the two twin brothers of the Guinness Book of World Records? Oh, yeah, on the mopeds. That's kind of what it reminds me of, but maybe it's one of those guys with two smaller guys. I, I'm interested to know who the other people are. You would think, think that he, he's probably hanging out with football players, but who knows? Yeah, kickers? Um, I mean, I don't know. But, um, but, <laughs> I don't know but, who else should get on there. I'm sure it's not Larry Jackson. Right, you know, get right. You wrote something uh, over the weekend or early, was it Monday uh, or Sunday? I think it was Sunday. Sunday night. Yeah, Sunday, Sunday night. Um, I'll, I'll let you say, I don't want to infer the wrong things. What was the gist of what you wrote? Because it gained a lot of traction. Well, there were a couple layers to the column. And, and obviously, I think people focus on a headline, um, which is why we write headlines to try to get people to read. That was in my J school years. That was kind of the idea to get people to read. You, you, you write a catchy headline. And also, you know, a subhead or something to get them in. Nowadays, it's called clickbait when you do something like that, <laughs> provided you don't write something. And, and I, I'm, I, I don't say I'm proud, but I was fine with what I wrote. I didn't feel like it was clickbait, and I didn't feel like I was just trying to, to get us traffic. Um, the, the layers of my story were basically, for one, as you brought up, and, and I get the, the, the different age, you know, um, Reef's a, a fourth-year junior, I believe, and Worf's is a second-year sophomore. I get the difference in age, and the older you are, you should know better. I don't see the equity in um, a public intox and driving drunk. I just think there's an inequity there in terms of the offense, and that should be reflected in the punishment. I said three games, having some time to reflect on it, maybe I was a little heavy-handed, maybe two games as opposed to one game for the public intox arrest um, would be the way to go. I just think there should be a difference. And I think two games for public intox, and Kirk has done that in the past. He's given guys two games for public intox. I can't recall off the top of my head through 20 years, but it was back a ways um, that he did do that. And... Um, couple things here that I'll say on that. I am people that think that I'm being hard on Kirk because he doesn't he doesn't acknowledge these things and punish them. That couldn't be farther from the truth. He does a great job comparatively to what other guys around other coaches around the country country. He, he makes his players responsible. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't have any problem with Kirk's punishments and you know his his ability to punish these guys for doing wrong. You don't have a problem with Kirk Ferentz, the disciplinarian. 
No, I think I don't think he's doing it. I there's not an ounce of me that thinks he's doing it a certain way for a competitive competitive advantage. Right, right. Whereas I can't say the same for other coaches sure, around the country sure, in that sure. regard. So I want that to be clear. And then also tying into my column, which I wrote quite a bit of in the column about as well, but people didn't really focus on that. They were more on me saying that they should get more, you know, a, a stronger penalty for for OWI was that we're starting, and, and we talked about this at the top, we're seeing you know some starters and guys in the two deep now in the last calendar year. We've got more than we had in that 15, 16 season and in through, you know, at least through the beginning of last year. And I looked back and, and looked at some numbers, and if you read my column, there are some numbers in there back from the Dominique Douglas, Abe Satterfield, Arvell Nelson, that period was the 06, 07 when things weren't going well. And basically the gist, you can look at the numbers in my column, I won't regurgitate them here, but when Iowa does well on the field, it's usually behaving off of the field, was the, the way right. I ended my column. Right, and, right. and I think if you think back through the years through Kirk Ferentz, Kirk Ferentz's tenure, and look at the numbers and look at what I put in my column, it, it makes some sense. It's not a foolproof formula, but it, the culture is so important here. They talk about it. What is it? Rate, win, graduate, do it right. When you're not doing one of those things, that upsets the culture. The holy Hawkeye triumvirate, <laughs> win, graduate, and do it right. Um, I get what you're saying, and I respect um, how you laid all, it all out. There's some points that I may not see eye to eye with. Um, sure. You brought something. Well, let's let's stick to what we're discussing at hand right now. And my my train of thought just left. But oh, okay. Um, getting old's great, isn't it? It, it is. It is. <laughs> I, I, that's why I usually take notes on every phone call that I'm on. It's just more challenging to do when you have the visual exactly. medium. It, with regards to um, the players not getting into trouble and having, you know, typically these guys have been behaving. I would guess, and this is just a guess, okay, and, and these aren't facts, I would guess there are more than just a couple of players who are going uptown, having a few pops during the off season and doing things like that or doing it at their houses um, that, are, that are behaving in a very similar fashion to the guys that get popped that just don't get popped. They either lucky. They're either lucky. Um, they knew when to go home, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So I, I don't think we, we're talking about a team of, uh, you know, monks. Whenever things are going right, I just think that sometimes luck can be on your side with regards to not getting popped. And of course, if you're six five, three twenty, having drinks and then getting on a scooter with two other people, bad idea. Bad idea all around for a number of reasons, especially for the under-the-radar reasons. 65320 guy on a scooter is going to attract attention regardless, uh, much less with two people and them laughing and doing all those things. Um, you, you mentioned something with regards to, I think you even used the term culpable, culpability on the part of the Iowa coaching staff with regards to some of these guys getting popping. Before I put words in your mouth, I'll let you ex speak to that. What did you mean by that? I think that the, uh, I, I guess I, I don't think I use culpability. I'm not sure which point you're referring to. The, the point where I believe that Kirk Ferentz does try to teach these guys lessons when they do wrong, I certainly think that's the case. I think that's the case with all the coaches on the staff, whether it be 
you know, somebody missing a block or an assignment to something as severe as drinking and driving. I think they're constantly trying to teach, and I think that's one of the, the big um, assets of this coaching staff is mm-hmm. that they do that. They don't turn the other cheek when things right. go wrong, and they address it. Right. Just from your article, um, certainly the athletes are responsible. They're old enough to know better. The coaches are culpable. No, they can't be with the pupils 24-7, but they're paid well to keep their house in order. Broderick Benz, director of player development, is tasked with educating the student-athletes about proper off-field behavior. The police are not responsible. They're doing their job. They're not targeting athletes. That's a tiered narrative. Boy, that, that annoyed people. Well, yeah. There's, there's the police are evil. Yeah, and that's, and that's stupid. So, so when, you said the, the co- the, when you said the coaches are culpable, was that a typo? Or, or is this- no, I think they have responsibility. When when players do wrong, they are responsible for. They they they're it's they're the leaders of the business, so to speak. Right. And when employees or somebody do wrong, they're the ones that are at the at the top and have to. Um, Okay. So you're not you're not saying I'm that not saying you're not saying that they got a babysitter that that, that no, no, no. Okay, okay. That's there you go. That's what but I was as, wondering. As being as being the Because we were about ready to fight, Rob. <laughs> what? We were about right we were about ready to fight. Oh, no, I, I'm not saying they need to I mean it's not like fireable offenses, but when these things do stack up, right, then you start to look at okay, what's going on behind why are why are players stepping out of line and the coaches are the ones that need to make that uh need to to keep that um from happening Mm -hmm. it's never going to go away completely but you can't have it become an epidemic right so now with the brandon snyder um i don't know any of the details i don't know what you know so i don't want to i don't want to wade in too deep on this um, just a couple of weeks ago when you were in Chicago, Kirk Ferentz was talking about having uh, a lot of talent at that position. Uh, Snyder was listed as a co-starter in the media guide. And all of a sudden on this Tuesday, July 31st, on the eve of fall practice beginning, um, he's no longer on the team. The timing is certainly the thing that stands out to me. Um, as you said, Listed as a co-starter in the depth chart, I believe it was Chad Leistakoa, the register, right. wrote a big feature on him, yeah. um, on his comeback. And that's been, I, I think that's, timing gets away from me. Again, getting old, it's hard to remember things all the time, but I believe that's been written in the last month or so. Mm-hmm. So we see most of these departures occur after spring ball when, when guys are like, all right, the writing's on the wall. I, you know, I'm buried on the depth chart. Right, right. This is too much for me. I'm. This isn't the case here. Um, I'm not going to say there's more to the story, but there seems like there's more to the story. Yeah, there does. Um, I don't know what it is, and I'm not going to speculate on it. It just seems like strange timing. Yeah, I, I think that that's the only way that you can do it. All right, that's the, the news portion of our, our conversation. We're going to talk uh, football predictions, 2018 Iowa football predictions. I've gotten two-thirds of the way done. I promised you all my third of three parters last Friday. I haven't gotten to it yet. Getting ready to go out of town on vacation. Um, so the, this is like a big tease. So right now, Rob, I'm through, uh, I'm through eight games. I started Iowa out 3-1. Uh, and one with losing at home to Wisconsin. Do I think they can win that? Yes, but I'm giving Wisconsin the absolute benefit of the doubt. And then Iowa plays, I believe it was at Minnesota, that at Indiana, at home against Maryland, 
And then there was, oh, at Penn State. And I think I had them going two and two in that stretch. I think they're better than Indiana. I think they're better than Minnesota. Uh, I think they're, they're, they're certainly better than Maryland. I haven't beaten Maryland. And I actually think that Penn State's going to be a beatable team. But that's one of the toughest venues to play at in college football. So Indiana, I, I just think like one of Indiana uh, or Minnesota might get them. But we'll see. So I have them five and three through uh, eight games, and then I will release my last four games later this week. Where did you land on your season predictions? That's called a teaser in the business. It is a tease. Yeah, keep them coming back. Yes, that's right. Um, <laughs> I uh, I had eight and four. Um, I get the sense. It's weird. You, you try to gauge the temperature of the fan base before a season. And usually you have a pretty good idea of, you know, the expectations are really high or they're low or in the middle, but it's usually pretty consistent. This year, it seems to be all over the place. You know, I've had people tell me that anything less than 10 wins with this schedule is a failure. You know, and then I have people saying if they can win six games, they'll be fortunate, you know, because they lose three linebackers and the punting's a mess and they're replacing Josh Jackson in the middle of the defense and, you know, where the hot spots are on this team. Um, I think eight and four would be a good season. I'm, I think I've heard you talk about this or write about this. This team, I think, is building for next year. Next year yeah. should be the big season, even though the schedule's not as, as friendly. Um, they'll have a ton coming back, you would think. Um, you got to think no offense going. Oh. If he has any type of season like we're, we're expecting him to have. But the good news is they'll have right. probably another potential All-American right there in Hawkinson. Yes. And Sean Byers, a very talented tight end. Uh, and Nate Weeding is a guy who's, I think, undervalued by some folks, or maybe he's overshadowed. Um, and then Logan Lee's coming in the 2019 class. He's one of the better tight ends in the Midwest. So that, that position I, I'm not concerned with. Um, but I just think this year, John, um, without we can maybe look at which games I have them losing instead of going through the whole schedule. But the eight and four for me is still question marks on the offensive line, even before the Tristan Wirf suspension. Um, can this unit gel? Because uh, they lost Sean Wilson, James Daniels. That's not that's pretty heady. Those guys were good, you know. And we've seen the offensive line be inconsistent and have injuries in recent years and be a, a, a concern. So I want to see how that develops. I want to see how the interior of the defensive line develops. Uh, teams ran on them a little bit more than they would have liked last year. And I, I, I know um, you, you, Iowa has a history of of you know, developing linebackers, but they lost some three really good linebackers that they have to replace. And then Josh Jackson, you know, and you lose, and losing Regamba too. They've, and then the punting situation. Right. right. So I think I hit most of the hot spots. Think, yeah, you did. Um, you know, I, I kind of look at this year. I was chatting with a friend this morning. He's like, man, I could see anywhere from five and seven to 12 and oh. And I'm like, you know, yeah, I can too now. It, it kind of looks more like this. It's kind of like, a, well, it's, I don't, it's like a hot sheet, okay? So you see there at eight wins, that's the more likely probability. And then the, the circles get smaller the more you stray out from the center. So I'd certainly lean more towards seven wins than 12 um, or, or 11. But I saw someone on Twitter uh, post this yesterday that this, 
this does feel a little bit different than um, other times in the past of rebuilding where I think the person, I can't remember his name, I can't remember who did it. Uh, Iowa is, this rebuilds, they're building on slabs and not on sticks right now. And I, I think that they're in a good position. You know, if behind Nate Stanley is the, would be the biggest oh crap uh, really on the team right now. I mean, again, you don't want to lose Noah Fant because not many other teams have a Noah Fant, and he gives you so much for your for your offense as far as mismatches are concerned. And I'm just crossing my fingers, hoping Iowa runs a lot of three tight end personnel groupings because they can do so many things out of that. Defenses won't know what's coming. But um, I feel pretty good about this. It's just those concern areas that you talked about are some pretty significant areas. You know, Dace tries to, and I don't know what you think about this, but Dace tries to convince me that Iowa's defensive line could be, like, really, really good. I agree they can be good against the pass. I'm just concerned about stopping the run through the middle. And if they can, if that defensive line can do a good job of slowing down the run through the middle, then those young linebackers can run a little bit more um, and and spend more time uh, in pass coverage. I don't know. I, I just... Maybe it's the old guy in me, and the older I get, not the the less optimistic I am, just maybe the um, more realistic I am. That's the old the old term. Hey, I'm not an optimist. I'm a realist. You're the optimist. I don't know. There's just too many questions for me to get crazy. But it's not a stretch to squint, even to squint and see nine wins for this team. But it also I could see seven wins for this team. I think really, if you break the schedule up, John, and you look, there's there. They shouldn't have lost to Purdue last year. I think we agree on that. But Purdue ended up being better than anybody yeah, thought it would be. Phenomenal but defense, if, really. But if you go into this season, they they've got no business losing to Illinois or Maryland. Hmm. I, I think you I think you would agree with that. I think you could probably put Northern I think, Iowa in there. I, I hesitate to do that because I, I know the dynamic with Northern Iowa. They have they no should, business losing to a FCS team ever. Right. At home, like two years ago. (laughs) Northern Illinois is better than a lot of people think, especially defensively. Iowa should definitely win that game, but I would not be shocked first game out of the shoot if they lost that game. I picked them to win that game. But that, and we both know, we all know the Iowa State dynamic. Yeah. I think they're, I think they're going to be, have a pretty good team. I think they're a seven win team. Um, So no doubt. You look at Purdue, you look at Northwestern, you look at Minnesota. Min- Minnesota, I think, is, is yeah. Minnesota is probably one of my four. Not when I say easy, the highest win probabilities. Minnesota is in my top four. Yeah, I would probably agree with that. They don't have a quarterback. Um, he's. I'm not sure. It's last year was year zero for him, whatever the heck that means, and now he's on year one. Um, so. I think he's given himself some more time for the rebuild there, even though Tracy Clays, I think, won nine games before he got there. He did. He did. Uh, so, um, and I, who knows what Nebraska's going to look like when they get here. It's the last game of the year. Right. Um, it's hard to know, um, you know, where, where they'll be at that point. But I guess what I'm getting at are there are quite a few toss-up games. I think if you say, if you put Wisconsin and, and Penn State in one basket, those are the t- – two games where you know, if they if they can get one of those that's that's huge you're playing with house money um and then there are all those other toss-up games from northwestern we know will be a tough game indiana and purdue on the road will be tough uh, iowa state and northern illinois will probably be tough at home 
um, can Iowa win the swing games? It's the same. It's the same song every year, though, isn't it? It is, and in many years they'll beat an Ohio State or they'll beat a ranked Michigan on the heels of getting killed at Penn State, um, or being a, a, a five and four team in 2008 coming home to play number three Penn State and beating them, and then not losing again, and that's the first of 13 consecutive wins, and then they'll lose to North Dakota State, um, or they'll lose to God, I don't think they lost to Ball State, but there was some other junk team in there. You know what I'm talking about. We don't need to recall oh, they those. Lost to, they lost to, uh, to Northern Illinois at home back with uh, Lynch when Lynch was the quarterback. Yeah, he was an All-American caliber quarterback. But, yes, they, you shouldn't lose to Northern Illinois at home. And I just don't know that this Northern Illinois team is as dangerous as that team. I think this Iowa team is better than the Iowa team that lost to that Northern Illinois team if, we're, if, if you're following me here. Trent. Yeah, I think that Northern Illinois team was more dangerous offensively. This one is more dangerous defensively. Yeah. Uh, Scott, their, their rush end is a beast. Um, he is. And he's going to be coming at whoever. I'd run right at him. Right I, I'd run right at him. I'd pull power and run right at his butt. Yeah. I mean, don't let don't let him play to his strengths with his pass rush. And um, I would imagine that whomever fills in for Tristan Wirfs in that game is probably going to see that guy lining up a lot across the way from him because <laughs> they move they move that guy uh, yeah. on both sides. So uh, should be fun. Probably, I think it'll be Mark Kallenberger. You think I so? Yes. Yeah. Rather than do what they did when when they kicked Sean Walsh out when they had right you know, fill in that, I think he's the next tackle in line. Um, I think he's been working on both sides too, and they think highly of him. Um, That'd be great. Get get the get the uh, butterflies out and go out in some real live action. And I agree. Whenever they moved, um, gosh, well, I can't. You just mentioned his name. Um, the, the Sean guard, Welsh. Yeah, Sean Welsh. When they moved him out to tackle, he wasn't comfortable in space. Yeah. He's a guard, and yeah. Cal, and, and Kallenberger clearly is a tackle. And he's more comfortable in space. And, hey, maybe he's not as good as a tackle as the uh, – he's probably a better tackle than whoever they'd want to move out to guard would be at tackle. Kallenberger wouldn't be as good of a guard as that person. Um, but, anyway, so should be a lot of fun. Be, I would guess it would probably be one of the Paulsons. They've worked well, – didn't one of the Paulsons start at tackle in the bowl game? Uh I don't know if they started in the bowl game. I think so. I think certainly they had one start last year. Because Worf's moved left side to take care That's of. That's right. So it was filling for Jackson. And I think, I can't remember which Paulson, but I think one of the Paulsons was a tackle. So that's a possibility as well, even though both of those guys have been working inside right. most of the, uh, during this offseason. Yeah. Every time you mention Paulsons, I just think of the Hansons from Slapshot <laughs> every single time. And, they, are, uh, they are unique kids, man. They are definitely unique yeah. kids. Musicians, uh, they were like in drama club and stuff. They're just, they're, but, they're neat kids. I, I, I hope they I hope they've developed to the point where they can help these guys football team wise. But they've, uh, I think they've they've made a lot of friends on the team. They're they're kind of glue guys, if I can use a, bas- a basketball term. They're the freaking they're, Hansons. They're putting on the foil. <laughs> they're keeping everybody together. <laughs> They're keeping everybody together. All right, that'll do it for uh, this conversation. Thank you for listening. Talk to you soon.